0: hello everyone my name is chris burdick welcome back to another episode of the runner on air today we want to take a little bit more of a serious note to this episode and we're going to talk domestic violence in kern county october is domestic violence awareness month and we at the runner want to extend our continuous and everlasting support to anyone who is a victim or knows of a victim of something as serious as domestic violence and sexual assault. Our own features writer, Jennifer Simano, wrote a story about this and w- it was released in the last issue of The Runner. In this story, she cites that one in three women have been physically victimized and one in four men have been physically abused at some point in their lives. At the ages 18 to 24 are the largest risk for domestic violence.
1: Also, runners can wear purple on October 22nd to show their support. Use the hashtags DVAMCSUB and DVAM2020 when posting your photos to be entered in the CSUB Programming's giveaway.
0: For this episode of The Runner on Air, we are very excited to welcome a special guest, Louis Gill, who is the CEO of the Bakersfield Homeless Shelter and the Alliance Against Family Violence and Sexual Assault, where he has been for over 20 years. Louis, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate
2: it. No, really glad to be here. I appreciate that you want to talk about our issues.
0: So just to start off, I obviously know a little bit about you, but for our listeners who don't know who you are and don't know who the Alliance is, can you kind of give some background on yourself and your experience with domestic violence, as well as what you guys do at the Alliance to help these people?
2: Absolutely. The Alliance Against Family Violence and Sexual Assault is the local domestic violence and rape crisis center for this portion of the state of California. Back in the day, Uh, When primarily women were suffering violence or abuse uh, in relationships, there was really nowhere for people to get assistance. And so the women's movement stood up and said, I'm tired of it. And it started with people literally getting phone uh, lines put into their homes, and they would sit around a kitchen table, wait for calls, and help individuals. That grew into uh, eventually the Violence Against Women Act being passed federally and funding being made uh, available across the nation. And so we are responsible for having a 24-hour hotline, having an emergency shelter for people to be able to flee. Um, We also are very fortunate to be able to provide uh, clinical services, meaning in-depth counseling for individuals that have experienced trauma. Uh, We do the hospital accompaniments when somebody has unfortunately experienced sexual assault and they need to gather evidence through a rape kit. And we also have a licensed childcare that specializes in serving uh, the children of either survivors or also, uh, unfortunately, the children can be the victim and survivor and qualify for those services. So the Alliance is a very widely arrayed organization that helps people that have been through some of the worst things imaginable.
0: Now, you mentioned to me that you are a survivor of domestic violence. Is that correct?
2: No, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. That's what, And so I've been very open about this. Uh, there's not a lot of men that really go around talking about it, and that is wrong because one in six men have experienced that in their life, primarily when they were growing up in their formative years, uh, is fairly consistent for survivors that are men. And we don't talk about it. We fail to get help. We uh, then get, well, long-term effects from that because when you are harmed in that way, If you don't do the work to address it, it can affect everything from how you form relationships to your your physical well being. And so I'm very fortunate that I had good people around me that uh, directed me towards the help that I needed. And now I'm very open about it so that men that have been through that experience who are still living in shame and fear can know, man, you're not broken. You're not partial. You're not less than. You just been through something hard and there's a whole healthy, free life afterwards. If you do the work one in six men, one in six, that's crazy, but it's, it's the truth. So as you can see, I'm very passionate about the work because I, I can feel it right when people have been harmed, we should stand up for them. And so that's, that's what I feel. I feel drawn to completely agree with that.
1: That's awesome. That's just like a, a great story of someone going through something and not letting it define them, but using it to their advantage mm. and, and being an outlet. That that's awesome. I'm in I'm in complete awe right now. This is awesome.
2: Oh, thank you. I that statement you made though is absolutely the most important thing, right? It's not about how we can hide our broken parts, mm-hmm. right? Hide our wounds. But how can those wounds be useful for someone else? Yeah. Right. Because you're like, wow, I've stood in that room in hell. I know where that door is. Let me show you. Right. And that's community. That's what we do.
1: So Chris has been talking about you for about a week and a half now, obviously all good things. But one thing I wanted like clear, like a clear answer is what is your like position? What do you actually do? What does your day to day look like being a part of the Alliance?
2: So I'm the CEO of a nonprofit corporation, and it's got two sides. One is for primarily serving single women and families and homelessness, and the other addresses um, survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. And so my day-to-day is dealing with the politics, uh, the funding, the contracts, uh, making sure that the people that help the people have the resources they need. And I don't typically get involved in day-to-day service for our clients unless it is of a scale or type that the staff don't know how to do it. Because there are times that horrible, horrible things show up, that people have been through such trauma and have experienced so much harm. Really putting together a plan of care can be complicated. And then also sometimes the system is failing And it won't respond. And so then you have to be willing to take your lumps by going to the people in power and saying, you need to get this done. And people often don't enjoy being pushed. But again, when it comes to somebody that's been harmed in the way that we're talking about, making sure that they're cared for, I don't really regret when I've upset people when I've said, you know what, you need to care for this person that's been hurt. So my day-to-day is a lot like that. Make sure the resources are there, mm-hmm. and if something gets in the way for them to be able to serve people, it's my job to get it out of the way. Yeah. And also, I have the best staff in Kern County, I promise you, They're the greatest people. Just come meet them. I, mm.
0: I know you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier about the one in six men have been yeah. through this as well. What are the rates for females and stuff in Kern County when it comes to domestic violence? For domestic
2: assault? violence? Well, in Kern County, that stat can fluctuate depending upon reporting, Okay, right? So what we do know is that depending upon what you read, one in three to one in four women have experienced intimate partner violence at some point in their life. So what sucks at a minimum, a quarter, if not a third of women have had to endure violence in a relationship. And that's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Now, women are not the only ones that endure that kind of violence because we have served many men because there are plenty of guys out there that are being harmed by the women in their relationship and they just don't have it in them to be violent back. Mm. Like they just flatly refuse to be violent to their partner. And it's interesting because there's all sorts of weird stereotypes and, and judgments on men that are being harmed. Right, but the fact that they're not willing to hurt somebody, even though they're being hurt, it, it doesn't make sense that we judge them negatively. Mm. Right, but for the majority of people, the majority of individuals coming through our doors for help, they are women, and we serve somewhere around twenty-three hundred survivors a year. Wow, year after year after year. That's incredible.
1: Now, how do those numbers differ? How do the numbers like compared to last year? to this year with
2: the pandemic, how does that? So I belong to several um, associations that provide these services throughout the state. One of them in particular, the California Partnership in Domestic Violence is an association of all the DV centers throughout the state. Many of our sister organizations are reporting spikes. They are seeing real increase. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that in Kern County. And that concerns me because people, that are doing the exact same work in neighboring counties and counties throughout the state are seeing uh, an increased demand for service. Now we've seen spikes, but not a steady increase. So the question is why? Why are we seeing this across the nation and throughout the state, but not here? Well, I'm concerned that uh, it just simply could be that people are not alone as much as they used to be when they were able to report. Or children are not being seen by parents, I mean, by teachers and other caregivers just in their family members. And so there's not some of the safety nets that we've always had. And so I hope that we will not see a spike after things open up even more um, and kids return to school and right, because there's a huge number of women that are not in our workforce right now because they're home because their kids are home. Right. And that's that also affects how we know how people are doing. So I'm grateful that we haven't seen the spikes here. I'm cautious and concerned that there may be a lot of unreported violence taking place.
1: Yeah, based off of like the the what you're saying with the children, I work with the the high school district here in Tulare. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of the teachers' main concerns is They had been either they had been watching students or or like closely paying attention. And now that the school is taking place at home, that the kids don't get that outlet, that time away from their parents. Yeah. In the event that something is happening like that. And so a lot of that, that's what a lot of them are worried about is they're not going to be able to get that time away. Right.
2: So you're in Tulare?
1: Yeah, I'm from Tulare. Uh
2: So Tulare County. Yeah. Did you grow up there?
1: Yep, been here all 22 years of my life.
2: I grew up in Springville in Tulare County.
1: Oh really, okay.
2: Do you know Family Services in Visalia? Yes. So Katie Meter is their executive director. Uh She is the, she's me up there for the domestic violence sexual assault organization. Uh, Incredibly cool human, Um, really smart, really compassionate amazingly capable, takes no guff off nobody. Um, She's just an awesome human. Uh, If you haven't met her, she would really be a cool one to reach out to just to hear because they have a little different collection of services. Mm -hmm. But also, I admire her and respect her. And if you're in that part of the world, it would be a good person to know.
0: Domestic violence is not simply just physical abuse or sexual abuse. And your website, Kernalliance.org, breaks down all the different kinds of abuse that can occur. Can you kind of go into more of the more lesser known ones like financial and spiritual abuse?
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that people can use to control one another. And um, it can be as simple that when churches were open, somebody that's trying to control an individual uh, will try and separate them from their support systems, those that might be able to help them. And one of the places that people draw a great deal of strength and community is their places of worship. And so they can separate them slowly over time. Um, They can financially control them by like, you don't wanna pay the bills, let me handle it. Just give me your check, I'll take care of it, right? But then they have control of all the finances to when it gets a little more aggressive, who are you texting? Who's on, let me see your phone. Start controlling all of your communication. Um, If you are fortunate enough to belong to a family, uh, you can be isolated from that family because the abuser would be like, I thought you wanted to spend time with me. I thought you loved me, right? And slowly move you away from those groups of people that know you well, can see when things change, can identify when you're emotionally in duress, right? And so... It's uh, rough the levels of abuse that can take place.
0: The other thing on your website that really stuck out to me, especially on your information side, was what you guys call the cycle of violence Yeah. when it comes to all of this. Can you kind of give some explanation on that for our listeners?
2: The cycle of violence is something that occurs in violent relationships. So if you have somebody that is willing to be violent uh, with somebody that they profess to care for, um, and often do, but are just so confused about what love really is. Um, there will be tension building. So that's the first stage, right? So fighting, bickering, it's getting worse. You can feel it happening. And then there is finally the eruption, the violent outburst. And it, if it's still just verbal, it can be physical. As it progresses, it gets potentially more lethal. Uh, And then there's the honeymoon phase because the abuser feels the remorse and has begun to lose control of the individual because with the violence, there is a separation that takes place, right? There's an emotional disconnect that takes place and they want that control back. So they go to the honeymoon phase and they're like, baby, I'm so sorry. And, And they work on making it better. And so you keep going. And so then the honeymoon phase sooner or later runs out. And now we're back to tension building. Mm -hmm. And it's building, it's building, and we have our eruption again. And here we go. Mm -hmm. And that's the cycle that um, people wind up in in relationships. And it's awful. And after an individual has been in a relationship that is violent for a while, and they can feel the tension building, it's not unusual for them to provoke the outburst. They just want to get over it. They just want to get through it and get to that honeymoon phase and that that has become their normal. And it's awful that that's what happens. And it's one of the things that can be so confusing for those of us that aren't in those relationships to go, why, why do you put up with that? Why do you let that happen? Why did you say that to make that happen? Why all this blame instead of trying to understand What's going on for the individual in that relationship?
0: Yeah, it's a lot where my confusion, especially with relationships like that or like cheating relationships. Usually it's the cheater that ends up blaming, you know, the cheatee for cheating. Sure. And it never makes sense to me. But why do you feel that is though? Why do you feel that these types of relationships, the longer you're in them, the more it just becomes the norm to these people?
2: Well, you get conditioned. It becomes your normal. It is the way you're living. And so it doesn't seem that odd. When we have people come in and we um, do safety assessments with them, they're often surprised Mm -hmm. at how in danger they really are. Um, One of the things that happens when you get choked is that you have blood vessels that rupture in your face, your eyes. It's called petechia. Um, And that's, that's an incredibly lethal thing that can occur. Mm-hmm. right? Because you can have individuals that are choked, pass out, wake up, think they're fine, and then later go to sleep and their tracheas will close on them, right? So there's there's actually cases where people thought they were okay and they lost their lives, right? And, and so helping people understand that there are some very dangerous things occurring in your life, as opposed to this is just normal, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that as a people we are really bad about is that we blame the person that's been harmed. Why do you stay? Why do you put up with that? Why do you let right? Why do you let that this kind of garbage where it's just like, okay, a the only person that's done something wrong is the person that's harming someone. Right. So let's keep our eye on the ball. Right. As opposed to trying to blame the human that's been hurt. Mm-hmm. And then, who knows why that person is staying there? It could be their faith, right? They could Mm -hmm. really feel strongly that divorce is wrong and that they can't do that. It could be that they literally don't have the financial means to care for their children. And I will tell you that I have seen over the last 20 years, there is nothing that a mother is not willing to endure to make sure that a child is fed and housed. Yeah, right. And so I'm not going to throw stones at someone for that. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a number of things that we have to think about when we're looking at a relationship that doesn't make sense to us. Mm -hmm. Right. But one of the most important things, especially during this time, is that if you know someone that you think is in a violent relationship, well, you need to ask the question. Are you safe?
1: Mm -hmm. Are you
2: okay? Do you need anything? right and that that can really change things for someone mm-hmm. because especially right now we're a lot more isolated many many people are spending so much more time in their homes than they have in the past and they're not interacting with other adults right that can create real stresses excuse me there you go i don't know what's going on there but i got all choked up <clears throat> so um Where was I not blame the victim, paying attention to the relationship? What was the last thing I said?
0: I have a little segue anyway from this, but you kind of were touching on outside looking in. I know a lot of what we're talking about today is if you are dealing with this yourself, what you can do to help yourself. But as somebody who obviously your, your entire career is outside looking in on these types of situations for the majority of it. So speaking to people who are listening that, you know, maybe don't know. What to do to help their friend out that, but they know that they're going through these types of things. Is there do you have any recommendations for what they can do to potentially help their friend? I mean, like not everybody wants to call the cops and on a sure. relationship, or you know, no, not a lot everybody wants to intervene and get into an altercation with somebody because of this. So uh, what do you feel like people should do that are outside looking in to kind of help their friend out, other than just being there, like you said, and uh, being that you know, the shoulder to cry on.
2: Well, ask the question, are you safe? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Is there something going on? If there is, you may not feel skilled to be able to help. So we have a hotline, 661-327-1091. It's operated 24 hours a day. It's manned 365 days a year. And there are professionals that just want to talk. It's totally confidential. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to do anything. You can just have a conversation to find out how you can get help and encourage that person in your life to just make a phone call, just call and find out how they can get help, right? Because people often feel very alone and they also feel very like something's almost wrong with them that they're going through it and like unique in a way that's negative. I'm sorry to report that this isn't unique at all and it's really common. Mm -hmm. but we still hide it and you don't have to go through this alone. And there are people that have dedicated their lives to making sure that if you want to be safe and you want to move out of this relationship, or if you just want to get help and talk, they want to be available. Nobody's going to tell you that you have to end your relationship, that you have to run away, right? What they are going to say is we want you safe and we want you to feel healthy and whole. Mm -hmm. So how can we help you do that? You know, because one of the other things that I think is really important for us to think about, and it's hard, is that the people that are doing the harm, our law enforcement calls them perpetrators. The person in the relationship often calls them their husband. And the children call them dad. So we have to remember that there are a lot of hearts looking at this. And we just need to care for the people.
1: So back in March is when we, I think it was in March when we got the stay at home order hmm. um, where everyone was encouraged to stay home, kids didn't have school, people didn't have work. With what you do, what was your first reaction to hearing that the stay at home order, knowing that people would have to be at home basically 24 uh, seven?
2: The first thing I did was I reached out to my staff and let everybody know that we were essential workers and that crisis does not happen on a timeline.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we had to figure out how do we care for the people that work for us and continue to care for the people coming through in crisis. And so we had to change the way that we do business. We had to increase safety procedures, but we had to in no way reduce our capacity to help because there were going to be people coming through the door that didn't have an option. And so that's what we thought about first.
1: Okay. And then, so another question I had kind of based off that, I said, uh, how are people able to reach out to you or to get help uh, at the beginning of the pandemic when stay-at-home orders first started to now, now that things are a little more relaxed, um, you know, people are able to return to work and, and stuff like that, obviously with um, procedures and stuff like that. But what did that look like at the beginning of March?
2: So for us until now, Um, nothing has changed on how people access us for services. They call our hotline. They come to our outreach on 19th Street in Bakersfield. They come see us through the Family Justice Center with our collaboration with the district attorney. So we still get all the same referrals. We have not reduced the points of access. We're still going to the hospital when people have uh, requested an advocate and there's going to be a rig kit done. So all of that is still the same. We just have to work harder at being safe. Right. That's
1: really, that's really reassuring to hear. I like
2: that. Oh. Yeah. Well, there's no way that you can stop doing what we do,
1: yeah. right? Like,
2: how do you reduce that? Yeah. Because the thing that's crazy about the work that we do is that nobody knows about us until they need us. Right. Right. And then when you need us, it's a lot. You're in pain, right? If it's intimate partner violence, well, that's one thing. If you're a mom with a daughter that's been raped, that's a whole separate type of pain, right? And like, not only do we have to make sure that this young person gets the help they need, but we got to figure out how to help mom get stable right because how mom is reacting and dad is reacting is going to directly affect the emotional well-being of the child because if you remain stressed and fearful i mean i know that when the people in my family are stressed and afraid i can feel it when i walk in the house yeah right and so if you're bathing your family in your fear that's hard so it's mm-hmm. it's a service that is absolutely necessary and entirely overlooked until it's critical.
0: During your interview with KGET Maddie Jensen back in April, you mentioned a couple recommendations for people who are going through domestic violence, including keeping a go bag and stuff like that. Can you mm-hmm. kind of explain what a go bag is for people who don't know?
2: Sure, so when we are talking to individuals that are coming in looking for service and they're not quite ready to leave but they are considering it, we tell them to um, put together a go bag. So clothes, any medication, critical documents like birth certificates, social security cards, birth certificates, especially for the kids, immunization records for the children, if they're going to need to change schools. And then you can store it with a family member. It's also really important to have some cash if you can, Mm -hmm. because it's very likely that uh, debit cards, credit cards would get canceled by the person if you have them in um, both names. Mm -hmm. And so with that, you're able to get out quickly if you need to, because when the violence is erupting, sometimes you just have to go. Right.
0: And like you said, these things don't exactly have a timeline. So it's not like you can plan out when all of this is going to happen. Crisis Uh, doesn't
2: have a schedule.
0: Right. Now, to segue a little bit from that, but you mentioned that you and the Alliance have a couple safe locations for these people who do need to leave and need to just get out. Uh, Where are those locations around Kern County?
2: So we have two different emergency shelters for survivors of domestic violence. One uh, is in Bakersfield. uh, One's in the north part of our county. And so we have two different emergency shelters um, with beds that are available. So if you need a place to go, we can make sure that you have a safe, secure, confidential location so that you can heal.
1: Do you have any advice for people who might be dealing with this kind of stuff at home that don't feel like they can come forward?
2: Hmm. So if you happen to be experiencing this violence, you're not alone. And there are people that want to help. And If you'll call our hotline, 327-1091, you can at least find out what services are available. You can just test the waters. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to do anything except for learn a little bit. But I can promise you, if you reach out, there are really good people that care. And if you'll let us, we would love to help.
0: Well, Mr. Gill, thank you again so much for all of your time, your wisdom, and all the, the information about domestic violence. Uh, One more time, can you just shout out the Alliance and where they
2: can find you guys? Sure. So the Alliance Against Family Violence Outreach Center is located at 1921 19th Street in downtown Bakersfield. And our hotline is 661-327-1091.
0: We want to thank Lewis Gill again for taking the time to join us today and talk with us and the listeners about how they can better understand domestic violence and what they can do to get help.
1: If you or anyone you know is a victim of domestic violence or sexual assault and is in need of assistance, please do not hesitate to reach out to your local authorities or Lewis Gill and the Bakersfield Alliance Against Family Violence and Sexual Assault at 661-332-0931. Again, that number is 661-332-0931 or reach out to them at info at aafvsa.org. You can also contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Again, that's 1-800-799-7233 or TTY 1-800-787-3224.
0: If you are a victim of domestic violence, please know that you are not alone. And to those who are witnesses to it, speak up because it is our duty to help and end this kind of abuse. Enough is enough. If you see something say something. For more information on domestic violence and sexual assault and its effects, go to kernelalliance.org forward slash get information slash domestic violence. But thank you again to all of our listeners for listening. If you like this podcast, check us out on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Music. We appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for being here. We'll catch you next week.